Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks, two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 317 of The Freelancer Show. Today on our panel, we have Jeremy Green. Hey, everybody. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And today we are going to talk about making time to manage your business. So something we often say on the show and to each other when we're not on the show, because like we have no lives and we only talk about this. Okay, not (laughs) entirely true. Anyway, so one of the things we talk about is that when you're a freelancer, right, you have these skills. So we're like software developers, but you are also running a business and you need to think about it as running a business and running a business actually takes time and energy. And it's often hard to remember that you need to take time to work on um, your business and improve it and set goals and try to achieve them and all that other stuff. And those things actually do take time. And so we're going to talk about what you're going to need to take time to do and some different strategies for, I would say, finding the time, but it's really making the time to do that and why it's worth doing that um, as opposed to just like grinding, grinding, grinding away with work. So, Jeremy, I'll put you on the spot. Do you actually do this? <laughs> I try to. I don't always do as good a job as I would like to and probably not as good a job as I need to in some cases. But I definitely do make a conscious effort to set aside time and have time available to work on my business that is not dedicated to client work. And I mainly do that by not scheduling full 40 hours of client work every week. I usually try to cap it at somewhere around 25. Wow. I'm impressed. I'm so far away from that. It's not even funny. I mean, like, first of all, I know that I have to do this, right? And I I know I have to do this in several different ways. One of those ways being my accountant's office constantly emailing me saying, hey, we need this. And also we need that. And hey, we need these other things that you haven't responded to our email for about a month. (laughs) Uh, So that tends to give me these like broad hints that perhaps I should be dealing with these things. But then there's also just like the strategizing. There's the responding to people. There's the planning. There's the insurance. There's like it goes on and on. And it could consume a lot of time, right? Like there are full-time managers at companies who deal with all this stuff. Yep. But like, I mean, basically what happens typically in a normal week is I'm teaching four or five days. And so like on the train tour from my clients, I'll take care of these things. Or if someone cancels, I'll be like, aha, I now have a day to catch up on some things. But it's not at all scheduled. And it's becoming increasingly obvious to me that this is a problem. And yet, and yet, it's so painful for me to basically contemplate these people want to give me money. These people want to give me work. What, I'm going to say no so that I can do paperwork? <laughs> right? Like, really? Yeah. Even though I know in the long term it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a very common situation because, you know, most people that are freelancers are doing 
they sell their skills of doing a thing that they love to do. And so they want to do that thing as much as possible. And all of the other stuff that comes with running a business is kind of a, you know, seen as a side thing that has to be done in order to facilitate doing the work, but isn't really, you know, what you'd rather be doing. And right. Yeah. It's just, those are things that need to be done, you know, and, in a bigger business, you would, like you say, you would, you'd have managers and salespeople and, you know, a whole team of people doing all of these things to generate the work that you want to be doing. Uh, but when you don't have that team, you know, you've got to wear all of those hats and have to find the time to wear them. Yeah. So I think my latest thought, and I must admit, it's not only me thinking this way, but my wife as well. <laughs> um, that, and when I say thinking, let's like imagine some strong thinking um, <laughs> it, that like maybe I shouldn't teach five days a week, which by the way, five days of eight hours, you know, five days a week of eight hours a day of teaching, I'm told is a very heavy load. Yeah, um, that sounds so, grueling. <laughs> um, so her suggestion is basically, and I'm become, becoming increasingly convinced of this, maybe I should like take off one day a week or even like one day every two weeks, right? So like every other Thursday, um, Thursdays like, like Israeli work week is Sunday through Thursday. So like every other Thursday, not work. And I purposely mm -hmm. like block it out. And, and here's the thing. I've tried to do that in the past. And then someone calls up. I'm like, oh, well, I've got a free day there. So I think part of the trick is to schedule it and treat it as um, immovable as your client work. Yep. So so like otherwise you'd be like, well, you know, I can squeeze you in and away goes your business day. Yep. So so that's like thing one I'm thinking about trying to do. The other thing is, I mean, what I've been doing a lot of over the many, many years is like doing this stuff at night. It's like I'll come home and they'll be like, OK, now I'll catch up on whatever it is. And I'm really trying not to do work at night nowadays. I say at 9 p.m. recording the podcast, but that's not really like. <laughs> but, but other than that, and, and so basically, I, I, for a while, I was saying, wow, I think I mentioned this on a previous show. Like, I was sure that there was no way I could get everything done. And it turns out when you force yourself to get things, things done in a shorter time period, you get rid of the junk. Like, the the number of videos I've been watching on YouTube to, you know, just catch up, the number of games I've been playing has just like evaporated when I constrict myself to, you know, doing getting this work done. So anyway, so that's like that's what I've been thinking in terms of timing. And then when someone cancels on me and it looks like next week I had a cancellation and so I'll be home all week, I'm gonna use part of it to record a new course. But part of it I'm explicitly blocking out so that I can catch up on things and get things done. And like have my accountant less angry with me, which is always a good thing. Yeah, it is good. You don't want your accountant angry. Yeah, because he knows my monetary situation. <laughs> he can use it against me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one thing that's worth mentioning is that if you're, you know, find yourself so busy with client work that you really do struggle to work on the business, you know, that's really, all things considered, a good problem to have, right? That means you've got a lot of work coming in. There's demand for your skills. You're not struggling to put business, you know, to close deals. So that may also be a sign that you should think about raising your rates. Because, you know, if you raise your rates so that you're getting paid for four days of work, the same 
total amount of money that you do now for five days of teaching, you know, you can build in that extra time while not taking a financial hit for doing so. So that is very smart advice. And I did it like a year ago. I raised my rates. The problem is that then I guess I got greedy. And I was like, oh, now <laughs> it's like, well, I was making good money before. And now it's even better because yeah. I raised my rates and yeah. no one's slowing down. Yeah. So like I took your first part of the advice. Got to work all the days. The second, right, right. Like <laughs> yeah. got to include the second part of the statement that you made there, which is yeah. now I don't have to as much because I've got that same income coming in. And, you know, I'm starting to break more into the European, the uh, American markets, which pay much more than they do in Israel. And certainly one of my thoughts there is, aha, if I can get like, you know, basically one gig in the US pays the same as like three gigs in Israel. Mm -hmm. So my thing was, well, if I do like one of those a month, then I really only have to teach like two weeks out of the month. Um, am I really going to do that? Time will tell, but I'd like <laughs> to think yes. Like I'd like to think, okay, I, I like. Well, I guess what it comes down to is setting a goal for your income and not as much as possible. And yeah. if you reach that goal, then to say, you know what, that is enough, and now I can spend time doing other things, whether it's like life and mm -hmm. relationships, or sleeping, or managing your business. Yeah, and that's really hard to do in today's society. You know, there's kind of a lot of pressure to always be making more and once you meet one goal to raise the bar and have to to meet a new, a new goal and you know not that there's necessarily anything wrong with any of those things in isolation but when it all comes down to there never being such thing as good enough i think it starts to get problematic Right. And, and I mean, I'll tell you also, we for, for many years didn't really plan for retirement. I'm now 48. And that means like we should really do these things. I mean, yes, yeah. we have some pension stuff. But like I remember a few years ago, I asked the bank about my pension. They just sort of started laughing. They were like, <laughs> you, you're self-employed. That's ridiculous. So, oh, no. And, no, and then and we got some like good advice. Like we went to a consultant about such things. And so now we're being smarter. But it means like I keep thinking, OK, and if I make more money, then I can sock it away for retirement. And, but right. But at the end of the day, it's still better to like sit back, say, okay, I'm going to get X, Y, Z income per month, be satisfied with that, that I've reached my goal and not raise that bar and then use the rest of the time for all these different things, including improving my business. And one of the things could be then reaching out to these, like if I spent a day every two weeks reaching out to potential clients in Europe or the U S and like, like that would basically, and all I need is like one or two such clients, right? And that would achieve my financial goal. Wow, I'm doing a really great job of convincing myself to do this. This is good. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big part of this too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so, but yeah, okay. I mean, you know, that's, I, I think that's kind of, I guess maybe even paradoxically is kind of one of the, the things about making the time to work on your business is that it can be a big driver of actually getting to that next goal versus just trying to grind it out to get there. You know, it's a it's a way to work smarter and not harder. Right. Also, like, I mean, one of the things I'm planning to do is put together a whole bunch more online courses and sell those. And I have to think about how to market them and what do I want to sell and how do I want to sell them? And again, if I'm just like running, 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 I'm not having a chance to not only record them, but think about them. And this can give me some time to do some strategic thinking. And again, that, if I play my cards right, could be like, 
the same income or more. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the uh, Brennan's conference in 2017, Rob Walling talked about how he moved from consulting to products. And he talked about buying his time, like, like buying back his consulting time. So he said, okay, let's say he was making, you know, X per week. So if he made like one tenth X from a product, that meant half a day, he didn't do consulting. And if he made, you know, 20% of X from a product, it meant a full day, he didn't have to do consulting. Mm-hmm. And inherent in that, wow, this is really like becoming clear. Uh, inherent in that is saying, I'm going to get X per week, not I'm going to squeeze everything I can so that like X goes up every month (laughs) and basically you never reach a goal because you're always pushing further. Mm -hmm. So buying back your time, I guess in some ways you can use it from like to move from consulting to products, but you can also then move it like from one product to another or from, you know, how you're going to use your time to strategize over new products or new consulting or new clients. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't even know that you necessarily have to be making a move, you know, just if you can be raising your rates to new clients for still doing the same thing, uh, that kind of buys you freedom to cut loose some of your older, lower paying clients. If, you know, if you're, if you have a business that's structured in that, that kind of a way. Right. Right. Absolutely. So let's say we've now carved out this time for working on our businesses. Like, what are some things we should be doing? I mean, I think the most important one, I think, is what is probably usually called business development. It's the process of identifying prospects and talking to them, finding out what they want, you know, what they need, where their pain points are, figuring out what sort of packages you can put together to help those, you know, everything that is called marketing and sales and all of those things. There's a lot. So do you, I mean, do you actually do that? Like, do you reach out to potential clients and like sort of identify who might be good leads? I mean, I must admit, I tried doing that about a year and a half ago and it was a complete bust and it really sort of set me off from trying to do it again, even though I know it's a smart thing to do and it can be wildly successful. I do it kind of in fits and spurts, I guess. And it's usually either because I've heard through the grapevine from that somebody needs some help. And, you know, in those cases, I try to get a, a warm sure. intro so that it's not really a cold call. But then occasionally I will, you know, look at a list of job postings and stuff. And, you know, that can give you a good idea of who are companies that are needing help. Yeah. So, I've, you know, I've reached out sometimes to companies that I find listing job ads, basically, uh, and, you know, reach out and say, hey, I know that you're looking for a for some full-time help, but would you be interested in contract or consulting help in the meantime? You know, that doesn't always work. It does occasionally. Uh, it seems like it especially works uh, for ads where, you know, I've seen the same ad up for three months straight. It kind of indicates that they're not having luck finding full-time help. And so maybe you're going to be a little more amenable to contract help. That is so, so smart. I mean, I've often thought about like, you know, if a company is looking for help, then contact them and saying, well, maybe you consider some contracting rather than a full timer. But like monitoring over time, I think is, is very smart. And that's something that takes time and takes sort of keeping track of over a number of weeks or months. So you'll know who is and isn't um, looking over time. Yep. That's pretty great. That type of business development and Outreach to prospects is definitely one of the areas that I don't do as well as I 
should and would like to. Uh, it's something I should be more deliberate about getting better at. Right. I mean, what I what I tried to do, I guess, about a year and a half ago was reach out to companies, especially in Europe, who might be interested in my courses. And um, there's this book that we talked about once on the show, maybe even more than once, called Selling to Big Companies. And basically, I read that book after I'd done my outreach. I thought – and basically, the first few pages of the book are, this is how it usually looks when people reach out to big companies. And I was reading those pages horrified that how did she know what I had written and how I had written it? <laughs> and basically, she says, and this will never work. So I know that I did the wrong thing, but I need to like spend some time trying to do the right thing because, again, over time, first of all, you'll get better at it or I figure I'll get better at it. Second of all, it's, it's worth it because somewhere, somehow, it will lead to some work um, or at least a name recognition or so I'd like to think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think like one, one thing I'm, I'm going to try to do with that business development then is like get back to the reaching out to companies because like right now in Israel – um, I have a like very nice deal flow. Like people constantly contacting me. I have new companies. I have a lot of old companies. That's fine. But I want to, as I said, like I, you know, expand more into Europe and the U.S. Where, quite frankly, they pay better. Okay. So I mean, another thing that I that I plan to do during my like business development time or kind of business time is, I guess, like overlaps with actually doing it, which is recording courses, like putting together pro um, products. And mm -hmm. I guess you could make a pretty good argument that that's not really working on my business, but rather that's like doing the thing I do, except that like in my case, I need to spend that time not at client's offices. And there's sort of a limited number of hours during the day when no one's home and they won't make noise and I can record easily. And hopefully if all goes well, when I sell these things, then they'll more than make up for whatever I would get with clients. Yeah. And I mean, for you, that's, you know, I, I think I would classify that as working on the business more than working in the business because it's the development of an asset that you're going to be able to sell and resell many times. Uh, and that, you know, if everything goes according to plan, that has the potential to make you way more money for less effort than killing yourself 50 weeks a year doing trainings. And, you know, so that's really, I think, kind of opening a new, a new front in your business. Uh, Right. 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 I keep, I keep thinking it also is like if if I can sell a good number of courses each month, then that will replace like a week of training. Yeah. Right. And so so until now, it's basically been OK. So it's instead of like, you know, filling the gaps or it's like a nice little bonus here and there. But right. It could really like if, if I make enough to replace a week of training a month, then that allows me to. Um, relax a bit more, allows me to do more business development and gives me more flexibility in my schedule as well. Yeah. I think it is also worth noting that, you know, I think you could go overboard on always creating new courses and never marketing the ones that you've got or something like that. You know, at, at some point, I guess you, you could get to the point where recording a new course is really more working in the business than on it. Uh, but I don't know that it's always necessarily that. So I think I think that's also an important point that I have a bunch of courses and we just like we're recording this right after Thanksgiving weekend and Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales and all that other stuff. And I had one. And I did OK, but not amazingly. And I keep thinking, huh, maybe my marketing really needs to improve even more. Like maybe I need to think about what I'm writing and how I'm writing it. And so spending some time thinking about that, because like, in theory, if, if I can take the same courses I've already got and market them better 
and make more money from them, then that's a huge win. And it's it's easier in many ways than recording a new course. And it's smarter to do because then I'll learn the marketing sort of lessons and be able to apply them to other new courses I do as well. Yep. Trying what what other stuff counts as business development. Well, I mean, I mentioned my accountant. <laughs> so like my accountant is constantly saying to me, whenever I go in there, you should come in more often and we should talk and strategize about your business. And his point is a good one. I mean, I don't have to pay extra for that. Like I pay him a, a monthly retainer. Mm -hmm. And basically he talks to lots of small businesses. Mm -hmm. None of them are doing what I'm doing, but he sees so many different ones. And so every time I talk to him, he gives me lots of good insights about what I could and should be doing. Yeah. So I feel like like talking, like scheduling to talk to him once every, even like two months seems like it would be sort of provide me with some insights and, and usefulness. Yeah. And like you were mentioning earlier in the podcast, just taking care of paperwork and doing the books and all those kind of things, while it's not necessarily business development, you know, those are things that are, I think, working on the business that's keeping the machinery of the business running smoothly. And, you know, for me, I found myself being much less stressed about the state of my business when I started making time to just do those things on an ongoing basis, because previously I would, you know, just kind of completely ignore it as a thing that I didn't really want to be doing and was just a unnecessary or, you know, not unnecessary, but uh, undesirable side effect of having my own business was, oh, I've got to do all this paperwork stuff. And so I let it sit pretty much all year and then spend most of November and December dreading having to sort out that mess and then spend way too long in January actually sorting out the mess. Uh, <laughs> and so I, yeah. in order to be able to file taxes, you know, and so since I've started kind of trying to keep that stuff under control on a, on an ongoing basis, I just feel much less stressed and really better informed about the state of what's going on. Right. That's true too. That's true too. That basically every time I go through the paperwork for my business, I'm like, Oh, this makes a lot more sense. And, and also I discover things that weren't paid, things I didn't invoice, like all these little things that can add up to real money. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's all. That's a very good point. Um, and like, I mean, taxes work a little differently in, in Israel than elsewhere, but I also have that like once a year where my, my, my accountant's office starts flooding me with, you need to do X and Y, like all these different things that basically they're going through the books and they're finding things that I didn't do. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if I were to do it like on a more ongoing basis, then that would be better for all of us. Yeah. And those things are way easier to take care of when you're closer to it uh, because it's easier to remember details. You know, it really sucks when you're looking at a transaction from almost a year ago and trying to remember what it, what is this thing that I spent money on? Why did I buy it? Why why was I even at that location? You know, all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of things get really hard with a lot of time in between. And you know, if it's something that just happened last week, it's a lot easier to go, oh yeah, I, I know what that is, and it was a thing, and here's how you should categorize it. So, and that helps make everything less stressful as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've I've been there so many times already. Like, what was this transaction? And of course, the, the more time goes on, you know, the more time passes, well, there are more opportunity, like there are more things that could have been <laughs> yeah. by the nature. Yeah. What else? I'll tell you one other thing that I sometimes do. And again, this is like borderline. 
I, I work on sharpening my skills, mm. right? There are mm-hmm. all these, I don't get to go to a lot of conferences, but nowadays most conferences have videos. Yeah. And I mean, look, I, I think I'm you know, pretty good at, at teaching what I teach, but when I want to learn new things, I need to spend time doing that, reading blogs and trying things out. You know, my, my students often ask me, wait, if you're teaching all the time, how do you learn new stuff? And so, you know, I need to find time to do that. And I often use my Linux journal column as an excuse to learn some new things uh, or sort of incrementally learn it. But sometimes it's good to just like take a day to learn something new that I figure will pay off because I can offer my clients, in my case, more courses, more services um, in addition to you know what we were doing before. Yeah. And you mentioned conferences. And I think explicitly making time in the schedule to go to conferences is a good way to both further the development of your skills and do some networking that can really help make new business connections to help bring in new prospects. One of the ways that I have spent, you know, some of the time that I explicitly carve out is uh, attending local user groups, you know, developer groups like the OKC Ruby and stuff like that. And that has definitely kind of just raised my profile in my local area to the point where I've pretty much know that if anybody in the local tech scene uh, gets a whiff that there's a Rails job that somebody needs help with, I'm very confident that my name's going to come up and that they're going to pass me the prospect and that I can at least look at it and figure out if if it's a thing that's going to be a good fit for me and and that if it's something I can help with. Right. No, that's great. I I agree. I mean, I, I really, I don't go to very many conferences. Like I went to PyCon this past year, I'm going to go again in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was truly one of the best experiences I've had in many, many years. It was so much fun and nice and interesting. And I learned a ton and not really from going to the talks. I didn't go to that many talks, just from talking to people. It was really, really fantastic. Um, So it's like fun and good business development and educational all at once. Yeah. And I think the fun aspect of those things really can't be discounted as Oh, it's just, it's just a fun thing. And, you know, that's not good for the business. You know, I think it, I think it is very good for both the business and really your own mental health, because as freelancers, you know, it's very common that we kind of work alone and don't really have, you know, traditional colleagues that we work with on a daily basis. And so it can, it's really easy to kind of find yourself in a position where you don't really know any of your peers and it can it's huge to to kind of get around your your tribe uh and be with like-minded people and you know get to geek out on those sorts of things with other people in real life so i think that's really well worth attending conferences just for that alone yeah absolutely absolutely what else what are what are good things to do like in business development type stuff depending on what kind of clients you're trying to attract uh doing content marketing in all its various forms could be very helpful you know whether that's writing uh an email newsletter that you send every week or you know keeping a a blog where you post articles regularly uh guest writing for other publications or other blogs you know, kind of anything that helps educate your audience and get your name out in front of them can be helpful. Yes, I totally agree. And one of my favorite tools for dealing with that is 
both on WordPress, which I use for my blog, and Drip, which I use for my newsletters, you can time things to go out later on. So what I'll sometimes do is queue up two or three newsletters or two or three blog postings in advance and then just let them go. Like if I have a day, a day to do a whole bunch of writing, I'll just get those out of the way, write them, and then no, okay, now I've got a few weeks of rest and relaxation because they'll just go out and automatically take care of that stuff. Yep. And I would even go like lower level than what you said, which is take care of your like website, right? How long has it been since I touched my website? A while. Yeah. Um, and I'm That's sure there are things that I can me. do to, a long time. Like, I mean, every year or so I'll sort of modify it a little bit before I like go to a conference or whatever. Cause I'll say, well, I could probably improve it here or there. But the fact is that I should probably sit down maybe even with someone who knows about designing and marketing and improve it a bit, or maybe spend the day merging the two WordPress sites that I have, one for my business and one for my blog. Why are they separate? No good reason anymore, <laughs> but that's the way it was like you know, for years. So why change it now, even though it makes sense to change it now? Yeah. So, so and that, that stuff you know, it just takes time. What we're going through, like I've got all these drip tags. God knows what half those tags are doing. Right. So going through and like pruning those and improving them because improving that stuff will then make it easier for me to do segmentation and marketing and newsletters and understanding stuff and all that other good stuff we need to do. Yeah. So another thing that I think counts as business development work on the business is taking time to write good proposals. Uh, if you're in a business that does that kind of thing, you know, I've definitely been in the situation before where I needed to get a proposal to somebody and, it's, you know, for me, writing a proposal is way, way less fun than writing some code. And so <laughs> it's not something that I want to do. It's not something I get excited about doing, but taking the time to get it out in a timely manner and make sure that it's thorough and presents your case well, uh, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's just part of looking and being professional and it's worth taking the time to do it right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't do a lot of project work, but I do some. And I don't know, like a month or two ago, someone approached me about doing a, a project and he really wanted to get a nice detailed proposal. I said, you betcha. And it must have taken me like two or three weeks to actually put together the proposal. And he was very happy with it at the end. And we're talking about how we're going to work together and all that's good. But I'm sure he was just shaking his head thinking, what is this guy doing? Like I asked him for a proposal. <laughs> And like, how could it possibly take so long? And right, because it, it needs time. That's not just something to do in the five, 10 minutes you have left over before this and after that. Yeah. And, you know, kind of one way to mitigate the, the whole time consuming aspect of it is to follow advice that I know I've heard Jonathan give before, which is that there shouldn't be anything new or surprising or unexpected in the proposal other than maybe the price. Like everything else should be things that you've already talked through with the client and have a good understanding that you're both, you know, on the same page and using the same language about the same things. And so doing all that can kind of help you from needing to write quite as big and, a, and expansive as of a proposal as if, as compared to the situations where you haven't actually talked through, you know, any of your proposed solutions with the client and you're actually giving them just a bunch of new information in the proposal. I mostly agree. I mean, in this particular case, the guy wanted what I would call more of a roadmap than a proposal, even though I couch it as a proposal, just because 
the odds mm-hmm. are pretty good we're going to end up working together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I mean, nothing was super surprising. It's just me sort of writing out, here's what we think technically. And I mean, basically what happened was he said, you know what? We're not actually going in that direction, but I liked the way you wrote the proposal so much. We still want to work with you. So now we're, we're heading in a different direction, but it looks good. But yeah, but it took it just took a long time to sort of sit down and write it. And even if we had known, like, and they had gone through, they'd send me lots of documents, what they want to do, and then we had talked about it. It still took a while. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And sometimes there's just no getting around that. Anything else you can think of? I, I can't think of anything offhand. Well, obviously listening to podcasts, but <laughs> I don't think there are any other podcasts worth listening to out there. So that's an easy one. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like we've covered this in a pretty decent way. I don't know. Uh, if you have any other suggestions, yeah. that'd be great. Maybe we can go to picks. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. So you got, you got any picks for us this week? Uh, man, I really did not think about picks until just right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I got nothing this week. I, I came unprepared. That's fine. So I'll tell you, I remember I got a present when I was, I think it was eight years old, which was a, which was 40 years ago now. Holy cow. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> which was a subscription to games magazine, which was like this mm. puzzle magazine. Oh my God, it was the best thing ever. And so from a very young age, I was doing all these different word puzzles of various sorts. Um, and then they went under and they sort of came back to life. And when we were living in Chicago, when I was doing my PhD coursework. I got, I like renewed my subscription. I discovered I don't have time for this anymore. Like I just don't have time to do these sorts of puzzles much as I love them. And so um, I keep thinking like it's been, it's been like eating at me. I really should like get a puzzle magazine, but oh my God, like anyway, so literally two, three days ago, and I'm an avid reader of the New York times. I like stumbled across their puzzle pages and it turns out, I mean, Will Shorts, who used to work at games magazine back in the day, who's been at the New York times now, I think 25 years. So he has turned the New York times puzzles into like this treasure trove of word stuff. So if you're into crosswords, they have like regular crosswords and mini crosswords and a middle-sized crossword. And the (laughs) app they have for doing it on the phone is phenomenal. And so it has been just incredibly rewarding. First of all, to discover they're not as hard as they used to be. I guess age has its, like has its benefits, but also (laughs) like I'm on the train. I've got like, you know, five minutes between you know, the, you know, the stop before mine and my stop. I'm like, hey, I could do a mini crossword. And it has totally brightened up my day. And it is cheap. It's $15 for an unlimited subscription for the whole year. Um, so 
if you are into word games of any sort, I have been really blown away. They have slightly different things on the website and on the app. Um, and on the website, they now have this new thing that they're calling, was it Honeybee, which, I really, which I've really been enjoying. But if you're into word games, definitely take a look at the New York Times um, games, which is a completely separate subscription from the newspaper. So even hmm. if you hate them, even if you don't subscribe to them, you just pay 15 bucks and then word nerd for an entire year. <laughs> so there you go. Cool. All right. Well, with that, Jeremy, thanks as always. Great to talk to you. You too, Ruben. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. And if you have some suggestions for show topics, if you have things you want to know about, if you have suggested guests, do not hesitate to be in touch with us. Our contact info is in the show notes. And we will see you next week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.